Welcome to Grow Your Creative Agency, a podcast. Nate, Nate. Yeah? It's not, not going to work, not man. not going to work. Okay. Hey, this is Eric Parnell, owner of the Northwest Collective. And Nate Kupish, owner of Blastoff Studio. Has your creative agency plateaued? Or are you growing slowly and ready to scale up faster? Or maybe you're just ready to give up and get a nine to five. Listen in as we chat with founders who have successfully built up their own creative agencies. Join us as we learn how to get the clients you want, generate greater revenue, and develop a sustainable business model that makes you more productive and less stressed. So today we're talking with Michelle O'Hara um, from my local peer mentorship group, Opportunity Knox, but somebody with some incredible experience from running a Saatchi and Saatchi office, starting her own agency, and doing a rebrand with the Portland Trailblazers, some really cool stuff. Hey, Michelle, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, excited to have you on the podcast with us. Um, I was telling Nate about your background. You've been involved in a lot of exciting businesses and projects. And um, so we're excited to talk with you today. Thanks for jumping in. Thank you, Eric, for having me. And, and Nate, great to see you again. Looking forward to this. You too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so well, to kick things off, um, we can just get right into it. Do you want to kind of tell us about your background and kind of the early days? How'd you, how'd you get started in creative services? Sure. Um, I actually came up well, a long time ago, started from behind the camera as a talent uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, got, I was able to work with a lot of um, ad agencies there. And um, there was one particular ad agency that I asked for some advice in terms of where to move in, in Portland. They happened to have an office there. So uh, my first job for an ad agency was at a West Coast agency called DJMC at that time. It's now called Davis Ellen. And they had the um, McDonald's business. That was their big, their big business. So, oh, wow. um, yeah, that was my, I, I, and in the meantime, I did some work also for a post-production studio in the Bay Area. So I was, was pretty familiar with um, creative services and then moved to Portland um, and went to work, uh, started at the bottom. Uh, you know, as a receptionist at an ad agency, worked my way mm -hmm. up, and at some point, um, Saatchi and Saatchi um, had the national Toyota business, and they asked me to open an office for them in Portland. So wow. um, I, we became the Northwest um, office for mainly for the Toyota regional business, but also for um, their media buying arm um, Zenith Idea. So kind of a nice little start to go to work for some of the largest agencies in the world. And um, I really learned a lot. I, I actually, um, the, I, while I learned a lot about media and creative, I really started on the account planning side, which was the mm. research. And still to this day, um, having that background really has helped me so much um, with, uh, with actually understanding the creative world in general. And I, what I tell a lot of people who um, want to get started in this business, it's really great to be able to go into the different departments and understand how media is planned, how the research is done, how creatives come up with ideas. And so being able to have that kind of background was a really nice start. Yeah. Well, I mean, even just in that uh, little description you gave us, there's probably a lot that happened between there, you know. So um, starting as a receptionist at an agency um, to launching Saatchi and Saatchi in, in the Northwest. Um, what do you think it was? I mean, obviously, that's a huge responsibility and a lot of trust that they put in you to um, open the office here. So what do you think it was that led to that moment? Were you just kicking ass and taking names in your work so far? Or, you know, what was it that brought you to that point? We, um, I think the thing that they recognized, and actually, um, I believe the, the client, the Toyota dealers, they were with the regional, um, with DGMC. They actually went to Saatchi and said, 
hey, we'd really like to um, have the power of the national agency behind us, um, but we really have this person we like a lot that's been doing a great mm. job for us. And so we'd like you to consider her. So there, in that case, it really was the client who um, I had developed a great relationship with. They saw me start as a receptionist and I built trust over time with them. And, um, you know, I was very passionate about the product. And, you know, I spent just um, days going into their business um, sitting behind mm -hmm. the desk, learning the business, asking them a lot of questions. And um, I think that there was a trust that was built that really helped Saatchi see that this was a person for, um, that would be someone that they could build a, a business around. So, yeah. Wow. And Michelle, that's fantastic. I love that you said that, uh, you were willing and you did, you built trust over time. That's something that is, is not only needed, but I think it's something welcomed uh, in our industry based on, and we've said this in a, in a previous episode, but it's so easy on LinkedIn or any platform like that to just write a title and to be, to, to be perceived as whatever, a creative director or something, some long-term goal, but in the present and really not owning or having mm -hmm. those skills yet. And so building trust and building skills over time is something that Eric and I are both passionate about when we're working with people who are coming on and starting in their career. What was your mindset at that point, starting as a receptionist? Was it, did you kind of have that, um, you know, five, 10 year vision of like, I would like to be there. I will start here. Or were you just finding your way in a world that you yeah. happened to be a well, part of? I had, at that point, I had two young children. Um, I wanted to to move to a smaller market um, and a really great place to raise children. And um, because I did have the experience with the ad agency world, um, knew that that would be a good place to start. I didn't have any problem saying I'll start at the bottom. And I, I was really in the learning mode. And I, I think my career has always been about learning. Um, I. I mean, I just recently hmm. took a, a class at the junior college here on um, writing grants because that's something wow. that is available right now for businesses. And I wanted to learn how to do it. So I always take the approach of learning. And as long as you're learning, you're going to be growing in any industry, um, especially in the advertising world where um, technology changes, people change and really having an understanding of um, what people want and being out in the world, talking mm. to a lot of people. I do like to talk to a lot of people. <laughs> That's very helpful. Um, but staying in touch with uh, trends and um, what's going on is, is just something that has always been something I enjoy. Awesome. Well, I know, uh, Michelle, from our talks earlier that um, you, you opened the Saatchi office and then later down the road ended up opening your own agency. Um, and so I think that's probably where a lot of our listeners might identify with more rather than having a kind of a built in framework. Um, so let's um, we, we may come back to your time running the Saatchi office, uh, but for now, let's fast forward a little bit and jump to um, what what led you to going out on your own and kind of starting your own yeah. agency and, and maybe describe what the agency sure. was. Um, you know, I uh, loved working with Saatchi and, and the clients and that we had and all of that. But at some point I felt like the creative that we were doing was, it was national creative, but um, I really felt that we what I was missing in my career was having that side of really understanding how creativity worked. And I felt that in a lot of cases, um, some larger agencies just do the safe thing all the time and not that breakthrough creative that I think can change things for brands. So I decided that um, I wanted to do that. 
And, you know, I looked at a lot of agencies and of course in Portland, the, the agency that everyone wanted to work for was Wyden and Kennedy. And I did actually talk mm -hmm. to them. Um, but again, I would be going to work on a, a national car account and it didn't feel like I would get the level of um, learning that I needed uh, to, to actually become, have that side of me fulfilled. So I started yeah. um, one of, again, a client that was a Toyota dealer came to me and said, hey, we need someone to run our business, our creative business, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And I said, just kind of jokingly, well, why don't you fund an ad agency for me? And, and he mm -hmm. said, well, why don't you come and work for me? And I said, no, you know, if you really want creativity and great ads, you know, we need to um, have that freedom to be able to work with other clients. So um, wow. he gave us a startup loan and I hired, I brought on two partners, one a creative person that I knew did great work and, and another uh, media, you know, uh, head of another media agency. And the three of us started Nerve Incorporated in Portland, Oregon. And we had that hmm. first account was Thomson Auto Group, which was kind of a um, interesting a guy who spent a lot of money, um, but had kind of done his own advertising pretty much. And so we, we really um, had that carte blanche to take it to a whole different level and do a lot of fun things with him. And in the meantime, the minute you know, I think once you establish a reputation within the media world, um, the minute we opened, we already had um, two other accounts that came to us and we were, we were off to a start. And that we came up with the word nerve because I wrote a strategy statement that it takes courage to do great advertising. And so when the creative director, the creative partner at that time said, um, what about nerve? I went, Oh man, that's really, uh, that's kind of radical. I mean, this is in the early 2000s. So everyone, that's nothing now, but remember then uh, people were using their last names for the most part. So I'm mm -hmm. like, oh man, mm -hmm. he did nail it. And we do want to say something about creativity. And uh, so I said, can we put ink on the end of it? Just to kind of add it. Um, <laughs> But that's how we came up with the name. And really the freedom that we had with that account and with others was remarkable at that time. And so we grew pretty fast. I think we were um, up to about 30 people in the first three to five years doing great work. Wow. Um, just, and that came from the team, um, you know, and that whole belief in if you do the research, if you write a great brief, and then you you let the creatives do their thing, they, um, you know, giving them enough guidance along the way that that our job as the account side was to be able to present and sell the creative to the to our clients and develop the trust so that they would trust us in that. Um, so, yeah, that research background that I had with Sachi helped me just understand how to really write great creative briefs and then the teams would nail it. So, um, but I do have a story about that along the way. And speaking of Wyden and Kennedy, uh, I don't yeah. know how I was brave enough, but at one point it was so clear that I was in over my head with running an ad agency and, um, <laughs> and working with creatives and, um, I was really kind of um, almost on the side of I wouldn't say no to anything or I wouldn't even like share my voice if I had an opinion. And um, hmm. I, so I went to, I called um, Dan Wyden. I actually got his assistant, mm -hmm. Mary, on the phone. And um, I just said to her, you know, I need some help. <laughs> I need to, I'd love to talk to Dan Wyden about because I'm, I'm not doing very well with communication with the creatives and the creative teams. And I didn't come up that side of the 
business that I really like to talk to him. And and you had no relation at this point. This was just a wild this reach out. This is just a reach out. I knew um, several of the people that worked over there. I had uh, applied to work there um, before starting my own agency, but I had never met him before. Um, but I, I think uh-huh. someone told me, like, if you want to, if you want a mentor, pick out the person that you idolize and ask. Mm. I mean, the only thing she could have said, no, he's not interested, or you know, he just doesn't have the time, or um, but. She said, let me talk to him, give me a call back in a few days. And I did. And um, Dan Wyden made time to talk to me. And the thing, wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was, we, we actually had lunch um, once a month for quite some time. And I was struggling with um, our creative department was, I mean, they were doing great work, but they were there all the time. And they were playing video games at night and they weren't going home. And I wanted everyone to have a well-balanced life. And, you know, and I shouldn't, I don't know why that just bothered me. And I wasn't communicating very well. And um, so I, I, I still remember at lunch, um, he asked, I said, you know, how do I do better with the crew? I think they hate me half the time and I'm not communicating. I'm not, there's just not the relationship. And he said, well, you know, what do you do? And I, well, I, you know, guess I have a lot of things, boundaries and things I want them to do. And he said, well, okay, I'm going to ask you three questions. Are they, um, you know, are they doing great work? Yes. Are they turning it in on time? Yes. Um, are, is it, you know, is, is at the end of the day, are you feeling really good about the work? And I said, yes. And he said, so don't worry about the rest. And mm-hmm. they're going to go about coming up with things. Every, every creative person is a little bit different. And they're definitely different than you, who is a planner, strategic. They get things, as long as they get things done on time, you know, and I'm like, well, yeah, I always have the time line, but Okay. Um, yeah. and, and they're doing great work and it's getting produced and don't worry about it. And yeah, that was, wow. that's amazing, Michelle. And yeah, you're an amazing communicator. I'm just, um, I'm in heaven here. I just love this conversation. Thanks for sharing all these stories and, uh, yeah, I love it. Can you take us back? So you had this initial investment in what would then become nerve Inc. And by this, was it Thompson Auto Group? Is that who was the, okay. How did you go about balancing your time? It was you and two partners. Is that what you had said? And by partners, did you, are you referencing that you actually shared ownership? Yeah. Okay. So you, you began by sharing like a three person ownership. Yeah. And, And I did that because I really felt that I didn't have, you know, my strength was in account planning. Um, I wanted to bring them in as equals. Had I, um, you know, I was in my, I think, 20s or 30s, <laughs> had I known what I know uh-huh. today, I would have um, actually had them earn the partnership. Was, um, okay. And, and again, when we went in, uh, we, we were fairly lucky. We had a 51% ownership. We split that three ways. Mm-hmm. And we had a deal with the, the client then that... Um, we would pay back the loan and, um, and uh-huh. we, we would get our shares back. So, and we did that over time, which was, which was really great. I, I really would urge anyone starting out, it, no matter where the money comes from, um, if you can figure out a way to pay back those loans um, and get full control over your future, I think it's a, a really great thing. But I would have... Um, they were both novices in terms of managing people. And that was probably the only thing I had that mm. um, more experience with. And they hadn't worked um, for large agencies. They worked for, you know, um, some regional and smaller agencies. And I think I would have, I think I, I threw them in a situation where um, instead of giving them the opportunity to learn and grow along the way, um, they were all, all of a sudden expected to have all the answers. 
and it, it really wasn't mm. fair to them, um, nor to, you know, the people that we, we brought in uh, subsequently. And I would have given them the opportunity to, to earn that, you know, that position. Yep. Um, and in retrospect, um, one of the media buyer who, you know, great person, just was a really good media buyer, but not really ready to take on running a whole department. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And how did you balance that time though? You had this client, did you feel like you owed them more time because they had loaned you this money or did you set out, you know, we're going to give you 20 hours a, a week and then you need to grow your staff to keep up with that as other projects came in. How did you navigate that? Um, and I ask actually, because I know that's not a situation that is a one-off. I mean, even myself, I have a few, a blast off has a few larger clients that I'd really like to keep happy. And we are, but it's difficult then to onboard other clients. Um, so do you, did you just continue hiring? What was that like? It for was you? not, it was a struggle. I mean, I, I would, I was not really good at balancing um, time. I don't think I put more time into that account. I probably, because knowing that I wanted to have um, a really great creative agency with different types of clients, I probably spent as much or more time with the other clients. Um, what I didn't mm-hmm. do well at all was. Um, I wasn't a, I, I think I was good in terms of um, overall managing people, but what I didn't know how to do is manage my personal, like what I really enjoyed doing. And so I thought that because, um, you know, this was my business, I needed to be involved in everything. I was not at that point really good at delegating. <laughs> I was stepping all over everyone's toes. You know, and, um, you know, pissing off a lot of people. Um, but because I had that, that background with the clients, I wanted to be in the room with them all the time. And, you know, it's, yeah. it's that thing of um, not giving, not letting go. <laughs> it was, I was mm. too, way too controlling, you know, and um, instead of giving the people that, you know, we hired who were amazing, the opportunity to um, really go in and, and they did shine, believe me, with the clients and everything, but I was always like in there, (laughs) checking, Mm -hmm. checking, checking, making sure everyone was okay. And, um, you know, fear of, of failure and all of those things that we do when we start. So it's a, it's a hard thing to tell someone to step back um, as an owner, um, and know when to do that, but it's, it's the thing that I had to learn the hard way. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I know, um, uh, from the outside in people probably looked at you and, and saw this amazing success, you know, here you were, uh, running a prestigious agency, transferring, starting your own, quickly growing your accounts and your employees and, and being mentored by Dan Wyden. It's a very um, successful resume on the outside, but um, that's great to hear, you know, for the rest of us too, at times you felt like it was a mess and that you were flailing. Um, Cause I know I, I certainly feel like that often. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's good to hear. Um, not good that you went through it, but <laughs> good to hear that yeah, we're not alone. I mean, I learned that I think, I think we have to um, step back and go, messy can be really good in the creative world and not be so worried about the process of how we get somewhere and let, let it be mm. messy. Let it be, you know, um, yeah, I was trying to be so professional, <laughs> but let things kind mm. of unfold in a more natural way. And again, as long as we're making deadlines, and we're coming up with really great stuff, not worrying about how it happened along the way. So mm. that's that's a hard thing mm. to do for a control freak like myself. And um, and I had to learn that the hard way. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, 
shifting gears a little bit, I want to talk about um, maybe get into some some like how did you price things and maybe talking about some of those first deals. Um, you know, when you're out on your own, I know. I think for for a lot of us who have been involved in projects, maybe on the employment side, um, you start doing some quick math when you see overall budgets. It's like, well, this this project was forty thousand dollars, or this project was two hundred thousand dollars. What if I was the owner of the agency, or you know, like? And I think later we find out there's a lot of expenses and stuff that you're not really aware of, but. Um, you know, early on, um, was that was that something that was motivating you, kind of the financial side? And um, was there some some of those earlier jobs that were exciting? Um, I, I was the financial side was never my forte, um, and and again, you know, a big learning for me. Um, we did not bring in someone to handle that till really late in the game, when things were pretty messy. And um, because I came from the big agency world, I always had people that did all the billing. You know, I would prove it, mm-hmm. certainly, but, um, and, and we had huge budgets you now. So, or relatively huge budgets, um, not like national budgets, but regional budgets. Um, I think we have the largest spending yeah. agency in, in um, you know, just in terms of regionally. Um, so, so yeah. yeah, when you start your own agency, then you realize, oh, I don't have media buying software we need to invest in. Um, I really don't have a billing, you know, apparatus and way to track time and all of those things. So you have to invest in the software and do the research. And I had a really great operations person that helped with that, but she had no agency background. So we had a lot of trial and error in, in those things. Now it's much easier, I think, you know, to, and I was buying big software for a small agency, you know, <laughs> and not mm-hmm. understanding just because that's what I was familiar with. So, um, you know, right sizing, making sure that you get those really great pieces. And the other thing too, was then, you know, the budgets for, um, commercials at that time, you know, a lot of local agencies mm. were charging clients, you know, five, two to five thousand dollars for a commercial, you know, and we were telling clients that mm. we needed to spend, you know, upwards of, you know, 25, 30 minimum on a commercial. And um, not everyone was thinking that was great. So it, a lot of, um, mm-hmm. a lot of clients wouldn't even come to us because of what we charge or what they heard and you develop that reputation but the quality and the results of the commercials we did less than most people um but they were commercials that would have long impact and long-standing reach and and you could run them a whole lot because they were so interesting so it was that value thing that we had to communicate with our clients and we were kind of brats about it you know, kind of like we're cool, and if you want to work with us, we're nerve. You got to spend money, uh-huh. and you got to do things our way. And you know that didn't go well with everyone. But um, and and by the way, it really doesn't go well as you s- start to grow, and then you have all these expenses, and then you have that client that comes along, and you're like fearful if you don't take them on because you're looking at the bottom line. You know, you're you're putting out, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars each month and uh, for, for employees and overhead and all of those things. And you become mm-hmm. less uh, thoughtful about the type of clients that you bring on. And I, I definitely had some big mistakes along the way of um, taking on clients because, you know, out of fear um, of not making, being able to pay make payroll and Hmm. um, those do not turn out well so if you have that that gut feeling that this is not going to be a good client for you it's probably something you should listen to because we ended up um in one case uh 
taking on someone who we did all the work and then they never paid us. And we spent a lot of money trying, oh, to, trying to track them down. Uh, and, um, and another one that just did not uh, mesh with us in terms of the kind of creative that we wanted to do is we had to let them go. And that mm -hmm. happens, you know, but I knew in both of those cases that they, they were probably not the good, right fit for us. Listen to your gut. <laughs> Listen to your yeah. gut. I like that. Michelle, this, um, there's an interesting hap thing happening. I think there probably always will be, but within the creative world, film, design, which is both very broad, photo, all of this, where, as you know, there's more and more apps coming out every day that can create quick uh, throwaway content. It can grab someone's attention, but even the apps aren't creating, in my opinion, from the way I perceive it, and as I do my own research, it's not creating lasting content. And so, um, and that's one of the things that we talk about at Blast Off Studio with our clients is because it gets brought up sometimes. Well, why would I spend um, $10,000 on this, uh, you know, thing that you're going to create when I can just download an app and have, you know, have Canva just put out a whole, and we talk a lot of, you, you had brought up that communicating the value specifically and then you give some examples well this ad will be able to run longer it'll grab more attention so i guess my question is um how do you feel about that model of being able to charge a premium to create something that is more long lasting and more strong and sturdy of a of a design in whatever media channel or um or whatever modality how do you feel about that that whole model is that something that you would if you were to go back would you stick with that model? Would you take on smaller client? What, how would you address all that I now? I think that we were, um, we kind of put a line in the sand about what we felt, how important we felt design was and create, creating long lasting brands that were, that had that stickiness and that high quality value type of look. And anytime, like I said, we did, we tried to take on someone and do it quick and easy and spend less money and you know um it didn't work for us i'm not saying that doesn't mm. work for some people and and by the way you know with ai now there's a lot of things that new technology can help with but it's not a shortcut mm -hmm. if you want to mm -hmm. you know uh right now you know write an article write a blog you can go out there and and you know have what is called chat chat uh, gpt GPT, you can, write it. You write it, but you better be willing to go and do the research on it to make sure the facts are accurate. And then the voice is not, you know, you, there's a voice mm -hmm. to the brand. And so mm -hmm. you, you do mm -hmm. have to, I think it's, I think you can use technology as kind of a foundation and in some cases as inspiration or as research, but if you don't have the voice, if you don't have the look and the style and the uniqueness, um, those are not going to be the breakthrough brands that you want to work with or that um, I feel are going to have the longevity. Um, we, we did work with brands that we knew um, were going to, uh, from the very beginning, we knew they were startup brands and we did their overall branding, we still spent a lot of money on logos and we still really thought about their voice and their tagline and all of those things. But we knew that they were going to, um, their trajectory was going to sell within five to 10 years. I mean, we worked with WellMed and um, they were bought out by WebMD and we were we worked with um, WebTrends, you know, and, and we knew that, that they were going to sell at some point. That was part of their model, but they needed some really fast start. And so um, we were able to make the case that spend a little bit more, you're going to get the, you're going to get the attention, you're going to break through, you're not going to look like everyone else. And then we really worked with them on, you know, kind of dating who they wanted to sell to, you know, as a strategy mm -hmm. and getting in mm. front of them with the creative and things like that. I mean, that was, when you write a target audience for them, it wasn't just the end user. It was like, who was going to purchase them? You know, um, so there's things like that, but we were, 
when we tried to do it more generic, it didn't work. Yeah. So I would always mm. um, encourage people, yes, you can buy a pretty good logo online. And um, depending on what you want to do, if you just want to have a small business and, you know, keep, and there's choices along the way, you know, of building a big company or keeping it small. Um, then I think, you know, understanding your target and your voice and all of those things, if you can keep that pretty consistent, it's okay. Um, and, and somewhere along the line, you know, if you decide you want to take it to the next level, there, there's, you're going to be spending the money anyway. But um, I totally get when you're starting up um, the costs that are involved with it. And, and it's, a, it's a tough decision. So, yeah. Hmm. Well, Michelle, I know, um, you know, one of the themes you've expressed already and, and from our previous conversations was um, really wanting to dig into the creative and not not doing what's always been done before um and i know and another example from that in your career was your work with the portland trailblazers um so jumping forward a little bit do you want to tell us um you know how you got to that point and, and what things looked like with the business for you that actually that the, stage? the portland trailblazers was a turning point for us in um the agency world and, and me personally um we had done some work for them um, at, as an agency, and then at some point, their you know their brand was not um, gelling at all with Oregonians, and there was a point where uh, their jail blazer years, where they were not uh, you you couldn't even get give away tickets to games, and we working with them I remember at that. that time. I think we were hmm. sporadically doing some spots. Um, and they came to us and said, you know, they had a new president and, you know, really great internal people and <clears throat> really good marketing director. And um, they said, you know, we, we want to, we need some help with our branding. And, um, you know, and, and actually, I think that the president of the, um, their new president had said, you know, it feels like our brand is broken. We're like, your brand is broken. And nobody is going, <laughs> you aren't going to be able to, the worst thing you can do for a broken brand is more advertising. You know, it's like throwing yes. money, you know, down in the toilet. And um, so we, at that point, we said, we would love to work for you, but we want to be part of turning around the brand. And we want you to better hmm. understand that your, um, your product is, is not a product that people want. We have players that are in trouble all the time. They're not engaged with the city, Portland. You know, they're not Oregonians, or they're not even. They don't even have any of the shared values. And so, let us do some research. Come back, and um, we came back with an overall strategy to, to change out the team members, uh, which is always fun when you're presenting. You know, to uh, the people we think need to change. Yeah. Well, and here's another really key thing that is, is kind of like a red flag. At that time, they were blazers, and you know, their logo had the fiery laser look. Which, if you think about Oregonians, that is not Oregonians, and they were doing things uh -huh. like. Um, for the halftime shows that, that they had seen in LA or Chicago, and they were like trying to be these big, you know, lasers and, um, people didn't, had no relationship to them. There wasn't anything special about hmm. them. So our recommendation was to go back to being trailblazers, which the significance of that is, you know, blazing yep. a new trail. You know, doing things. Mm -hmm. Oregon Trail, yeah. all that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and, and we came up with like four words that they needed to behave. Um, they were not connected at all. So being more open, they were really, you know, hmm. nobody knew what was going on. They weren't talking to the press. Uh, the press hated them. They hated hmm. the press. So they needed to be more open. And in today's terms, you'd call that transparent, maybe. Um, different because... Frankly, um, Portland was different, and Portland, 
Oregonians don't like to be compared to anyone else. They want to do things their own way. So if you want to talk to Oregonians, mm -hmm. you have to let them know that you understand them and that they want to blaze a new trail. So open different, mm -hmm. confident in a quiet way, not the belligerent way, and connected. So everything mm -hmm. that they did, they needed to leave their little home over there. I remember in the research, someone said it was like this alien ship landed in Portland from there and a bunch of aliens got off. And that's how we thought of mm -hmm. the team. So we needed to bring them into the city and into, you know, the towns around Oregon and to be more connected. So that was the strategy. And that changed everything because when you can, when you're able to own the turnaround of a, a business and and we did turn it around along with very brave people internally um who who did the hard work you know we made the recommendations but they did the hard work and um we put up together kind of an overall evaluation of who would make a good player using those four words um you know brandon Ro mm -hmm. oh nate um nate nate basketball coach, uh, I'll think of his last name in a minute. He was amazing. Um, he came on as the coach, so that changed everything. We had new management, mm -hmm. top management. Um, and then we started bringing in, you know, the Brandon Roy's of the world and players that was that were, could connect with um, the, the target audience, which mm -hmm. we were doing. So wow. that was a big thing, turnaround for us. That's incredible, Michelle. That's, I mean, that's brand... Yeah work that is that is the unseen that so many clients just don't get it's like i i'm getting a pdf i'm getting a png i'm getting an illustrator file no 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 that's yeah. that is like that is so far down the road and not so what was your where were you at in the business plan and the project plan were you being paid for all this research because i mean the strategy at the end of the day the strategy is the is the under the ice and then the tip is just happens to be the files that yeah. are getting printed were you being oh, paid yeah. for we, all we that we did not we did a research for an entire year and putting together the wow. overall strategy and uh, we hired you know an amazing designer to redo the logo and bring back the history uh, we actually were able to work wow. at that time. We brought in a, a um, creative team that was at Whiting Kennedy in the past, and um, they mm. now own 72 and Sunny, the hottest yes. ad agency in the world. Yep. Um, yeah, John yeah. and Glenn, uh, they were wow. kind of coming back to the States at that time, and we're looking at starting their own, and they came in as the creative team, lead on the creative team, and yeah, we were very fortunate to be able to work with them. And, you know, it kind of changed the direction of our agency. We, we became less about being a, a standard agency and we brought in creative teams, more creative teams for the projects. Research people, we had a, the head of strategy from uh, Wyden Kennedy had left and he was doing his own thing, uh, Chris Riley, and he, um, did, he led the strategy for it. Um, and it really, mm. frankly, for me, it was exciting. And what I learned through that time, I didn't want to run a big ad agency. I wanted to be part of that mm. type of team mm. to do real work. Mm. And so, you know, Nerve actually, we wound down Nerve. And um, I started doing work under Luminous Brands that were turnarounds like um, like that. And um we still, we did, you know, turn around for the American Red Cross about that time. Uh, it was after 9-11 and um, they lost trust with, and, and they frankly had no online presence. So um, again, under, we did that under nerve, but we, we really changed how we worked with them, um, working with um, the national group and talking to them about um, how they were going to become or proactive versus reactive, which was a total change in how the American Red Cross, how people thought of them. So um, that you know that changed everything, and and so we we really started doing more work based on teams that would go in and be truth tellers, and 
work with the, the you know, CEO, president, and who could actually make change happen and the, the team. And um, we were more involved with, uh, you know, it, it would sometimes take three to five years to get the strategy right. In the, the case of the American Red Cross, they ended up taking on a whole level of um, bureaucracy, <laughs> uh, regional level, because mm. they weren't communicating with their, you know, people on the ground. And so a lot of that kind of work that was really special and fun. Um, yeah, that's a, it's another example of um, just your appetite to really get in there and do the work um, and to really make a, a change and make an impact on these companies that you're working with. Um, it sounds like it wasn't just about a payday for you, but that you, you wanted to get in and, and really have some transformation in the company. Yeah. Um, which and into work. I mean, it, I think know, is, this is hard work and there's not, it's not, you're not going to be a billionaire <laughs> unless you maybe do the big agency thing and do mediocre work. I don't know. Um, but, but if you can't enjoy what you're doing, then, you know, it's, it's a pretty tough business because it's long hours and it's a very emotional business, frankly, you know, which, which I love yeah. that, but, um, it's not easy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's awesome to see how you were seeking that creative fulfillment and, and it changed shape throughout your career. Um, but it, it kind of went one layer deeper with each new phase, uh, which is really cool to see how you're able to progress. Mm. Um, and I guess to, to just ask a question of that, you know, what do you think was, say, if you, if you could say a number one contributor to your growth, um, as an agency, but then also as your, your personal growth, because you were able to be very successful in kind of going after what you wanted and what you wanted to be doing. What do you think that was for I you? I think um, uh, mentorship, mentors, having really great people in your life that you surround yourself with. Um, and, and part of the reason I'm doing Opportunity Knocks now is I, I was part of a y, YPO group. It's now called EO in Portland. And they are your you know peers. Um, they didn't necessarily, uh, you know, they weren't in the creative world, but they had their own businesses and, and being able to run things by them and, you know, let them know how, you know, share your fears and your challenges. And, you know, yeah, I remember at one point they, they're like, you hate running an ad agency. You love working on the business. What the hell are you doing? And, um, huh. and, and, Surrounding, so surrounding yourself with truth tellers, you know, people who know you, who you can share these things with and, um, and having them, allowing them to be really honest and then being accountable for the changes that you say you're going to make um, is, I think that's the key. That was the key for me anyway. Michelle, would you mind uh, telling our listeners a little bit more about, you mentioned that you're uh, leading Opportunity Knocks, and this is a thing that you're doing now. Would you mind telling our listeners a little sure. bit about it's, that? Um, it's a uh, nonprofit here in Bend. Uh, it's a peer mentorship program for uh, leaders, uh, business leaders, um, or organizational leaders. So we do have some nonprofit leaders groups. We have um, mostly CEO groups, uh, accelerator groups for people who are just wanting to start a business where they can really work with um, some people, coaches and mentors who will help them along the way. Um, and the teams are become very close. Uh, they share not just their work things, but their personal lives, their family lives. And, you know, they become um, each other's kind of like board of advisors, but I would not even call, I would say they're, they're, they're they became your, become your truth tellers. Someone able to mirror mm. to you and remind you of who you are. So yeah, we I'm currently doing that. And love it, and um, love Central Oregon. I've been here now ten years and came here to mm. um, turn around a media company. And now we have Central Oregon Daily News, and they are just wow. amazing. And that came again from really looking at. Um, 
how do you create something that's unique and special for um, mm. the people that you serve? And that Central Oregon Daily, I think, has done an amazing job with that. Yeah. It's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, well, I, I've certainly um, been impressed with what you've done in your career so far and what you're currently doing. Um, a lot of wisdom to share. And I know uh, a lot of people are, are still, you know, learning a lot from you in the position that you're in now. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm hoping to get some more time with you soon. Um, it's always fun bouncing ideas around with you and uh, really appreciate you coming yeah. on the show with and us. And I, I can't wait to spend more time with you because I, I am constantly learning. I mean, this has been really, um, I, I, I tell people it never ends. And if you're doing it right, you're always learning and you're always growing. And, and um, it, it keep, I feel like it keeps you alive. It keeps you fresh. And, um, and that's what life is all about. Hmm. Good stuff. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Michelle. Um, this has been a great conversation and I know our listeners will get a lot out of this. So really appreciate Thank your time. Thank you. I love spending time with you. What a great conversation with Michelle from Opportunity Knox, uh, Nerve Inc. and many other things. Um, four practical takeaways from today's episode that if you apply can grow your creative agency. Yeah. Uh, my first one was to commit to building trust over time. One for me was to get what you want. Sometimes you got to just ask. Yeah, that's a great one. Uh, the third one for us uh, was as long as you're learning, you're growing. I think there's a lot there to sit on and to meditate on. Mm -hmm. Lastly, for me, uh, sometimes running an agency is messy and that's okay. We know you guys hear this all the time, but as a newer podcast, the best way for others to find out about the Grow Your Creative Agency podcast is for you to rate it and share it with friends. Until next time, get out there and grow your creative agency.